Good morning, good friends, and welcome to worship at Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church. We are so glad that you have found your way to us this morning, whether it be by Instagram Live or Facebook Live, and we even have a few members here in our sanctuary this morning, and we're so glad that you're here with us today. This morning in worship, it's my pleasure to welcome and introduce to you Ashley Anderson, Ashley Anderson is a student at Union Presbyterian Seminary here in Charlotte. She is serving as our intern for the coming year. We're really excited that she will be among us to help lead us in worship uh, and also in programming throughout the year. She and her husband Michael have two children, Wesley, who is three, and Hayes, who is 15 months. So welcome, Ashley. We're glad you're here with us today. Also today in worship, this is the day that we've been waiting for uh, to honor and celebrate our PW women who've been hard at work in the life of our church for as long as Selwyn Avenue has been around. And today we uh, will present an honorary life membership to one of our women here at Selwyn Avenue. And I'm glad that you all are here to represent all of the women of Selwyn, um, no matter where they are with us, near or far. Um, this afternoon, directly after worship at noon, we will have a congregational meeting. We will gather together on Zoom. You should have received a link to that meeting in your weekly email from the church. You can also find it now in the chat feed. Uh, if you have any issues finding the link, um, well, look for your email. <laughs> we'll see if we can help you after worship. This is a short congregational meeting to share some information about how Selwyn has been doing over the last several months and also for the personnel group to present uh, plans in terms of call for me uh, as I move into your, uh, into your senior pastor role here at Selwyn. So please join us. Uh, tonight, the 7th and 8th grade girls will gather on the lawn for pizza. If you are one of those girls, please come and meet Margot. It should be fun. And we also will have uh, in-person worship on our lawn at 7.30 tonight. Bring a mask, bring a long chair, and come worship in person. Please note that beginning October 4th, outdoor worship will begin at 5 o'clock. And now let us prepare our hearts to worship God. has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. If you are able, please stand and join us for the call to worship. <laughs> 
let us gather in the name of the God of glory. Let us worship the God of grace. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Make known God's deeds among the peoples. For ours is a God of righteousness and justice. Sing to the Lord. Sing praises to God. Tell of all God's wonderful works. Our God is a God of forgiveness and mercy. Glory in God's holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. God who's giving knows no ending from your rich and endless store. Nature's wonder, Jesus' wisdom, costly cross, grave shattered door. Gifted by you, we turn to you, offering up ourselves in praise. Thankful song shall rise forever, gracious donor of our days. Treasure to you have entrusted, gained through powers your grace conferred. Ours to use for home and kindred, and to spread the gospel word. Open wide our hands in sharing, as we heed Christ's ageless call. Healing, teaching, and reclaiming, serving you by Brothers and sisters, the proof of God's amazing love is this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Because of this love, we dare to approach God with confidence. Trusting in God's grace, please stand as you are able and join me as we confess our sin using the prayer of confession. Merciful God, we confess that we have failed miserably to emulate your justice in our dealings with others, much less your graciousness. We have sown ill will, contempt, hatred, and discord as a result. Forgive us, we pray. Inspire us by the mercy and forgiveness you have shown us. with one another, especially those in need of blessing and grace. Amen.
let us hear these words of assurance from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. Friends, believe in the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. We continue with our fall preaching series entitled, Jesus Says. So many people are saying so many different things about what is good and what is wrong and what is right and what is not and what is just and what is unjust and what is fair and what is not fair, what is true, what is not true. Instead of ordering our lives based on what a politician or our boss or a partner or a news pundit might say, we here at Selwyn thought it might be a good idea to listen to what Jesus says. The voice of someone who not only talks about truth and light, but is truth and light. The voice of the one who changes the world every time he just shows up. And so this morning, here's the situation. Jesus continues to challenge those with religious and political authority. And the more he challenges them, the more they test him. What about the taxes? What about marriage? What about healing on the Sabbath? And the more he answers them, the more offended and threatened they become as Jesus is constantly explaining the way it is in God's realm, God's kingdom. Because every time a crowd gathers to feast on the abundance of two fish and five loaves, or every time Jesus sits with a tax collector or a prostituted woman, he expands access to God's blessings of grace and mercy. Every time a blind man sees or a hemorrhaging woman is healed or a lame man walks, these people lose just a little more clout and a little more power. And so this morning, after making their way from Galilee to the eastern shore of the Jordan River, we find Jesus. He is speaking with a curious and a righteous man, wondering what he must do to inherit eternal life. And although he's kept the commandments, Jesus delivers a mighty dose of castor oil. If you want to have eternal life, sell all of your possessions, give your money to the poor, and follow me. Ah, ouch. It seems radical, but then he drives the point home to his disciples. You see, it's easier for a camel to get through the needle of an eye, the eye of the needle, <laughs> than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Whew, Peter replies, good thing we're already poor and following you, Jesus. To which Jesus says, not so fast, Peter. You are following me because you think it's going to pay off in the end with some sort of power and prestige. But that's the not, not the way it works in God's realm. So listen now to this parable. We will pick it up in the 20th chapter of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After he agreed with the workers to pay them a denarian, he sent them into the vineyard. Then he went around nine o'clock in the morning and saw others standing around the marketplace doing nothing. He said to them, 
You also go into the vineyard, and I'll pay whatever is right. And they went. Again around noon, and then at three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. Around five o'clock in the afternoon, he went and found others standing around, and he said to them, Why are you just standing around here doing nothing all day? Because nobody's hired us, they replied. He responded, You also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the workers and give them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and moving on finally to the first. When those who were hired at five o'clock in the afternoon came, each one received a denarion. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarian. When they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. These who were hired last worked one hour, and they received the same pay as we did, even though we had to work the whole day in the hot sun. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I did you no wrong. Didn't I agree to pay you a denarion? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give this one who was hired last the same as I give you. Do I not have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I am generous? So those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. They show up in the 11th hour and get the same amount we get? Not only is it unfair, but it's basically un-American. And so what are a bunch of American Christians like us supposed to do with a parable like this? We have promised to order our steps and our actions, and our words, and our priorities according to the kingdom of God, and yet blessing in America somehow requires the ability to navigate a pathway of capitalism and progress that's built on a meritocracy. We pull our own weight, we go the extra mile, try and try again, bite the bullet, call the shot, stay ahead of the curve, work your fingers to the bone, pay your dues, work like a dog, earn your stripes, hit a home run, and then, only then, you'll move up in the world. And if you happen to show up a day late and a dollar short, like these dudes who got hired in the 11th hour, well, too bad for you. Because you know what? By the end of the day, we deserve what we've received. And I guess our goal is never to have just enough enough to pay the bills, enough to pay the rent, enough to buy a house, enough to pay attention, tuition or join the club, enough to buy a beach house, enough to retire early. The myth of scarcity requires that we constantly have more and more. And actually, our goal is often to have the most, not just enough. And here, of course, lies the slippery slope. If we never have enough, if our value and self-worth is measured in what we have, then we will never be enough. 
We will never be good enough or pretty enough or skinny enough or curvy enough or fast enough or slow enough or rich enough or athletic enough or tiny enough or enough like the popular group or big enough and never, never enough to be like the other guy, not enough to be the way our parents want us to be instead of how God created us to be. Oh, this is, this is dangerous territory. And it is far, far from God's kingdom. I suspect this is why it can be so difficult for us to clean out a closet or downsize a house. But more importantly, I suspect this is why Jesus tells the rich man to sell everything he's got. And he just can't bear to let go of it. I was reading an article written by Walter Brueggemann over 20 years ago, he wrote it, for a national publication. And I was surprised when I read this excerpt. My wife and I have some young friends who have a four-year-old son. Recently, the mother told us that she was about to make a crucial decision. She had to get her son into the right kindergarten. Because if she didn't, then he wouldn't get into the right prep school. And then that would mean not being able to get into Davidson College. And if he didn't go to school where he wouldn't be connected to the bankers in Charlotte, then he might not be able to get the kind of job where he would make a lot of money. That boy should be 25 years old now. And I wonder what he knows about the kingdom of God. I wonder if he has the courage to give it all away in exchange for the freedom to live in Christ and not the Tao. This story hits about as closely to home as possible for us here at Selwyn, and it captures our obsession with positioning ourselves to achieve and build our own lives. Don't get me wrong. It's not that achievement is bad. I love to win as much as the next Presbyterian pastor. And I've honestly never met a Davidson Wildcat I wasn't impressed with. But if all we have and all we are, we build and we craft and we earn for ourselves, then, well, there's no gift and we've manipulated it and we've earned it for ourselves. And if there's no gift, well, then that's a real problem because that means there's no giver. And so we consider the commandments and the laws and the rules and we determine equality and fairness the best we can. But then we hear stories like this from Jesus and we find ourselves standing with the rich man and Peter in the breach, stuck between the profound anticipation and hope for new life and new creation, abundant joy and grace, and then a deep fear of what it would require of us to let go of. As one theologian wrote, we read the Bible and at the same time we're looking over our shoulder to see how the market is doing. Afraid to risk, afraid to act, afraid to truly commit, afraid to let go. Our priorities of time and treasure do not often reflect a commitment to God's kingdom. Because otherwise, we would not find ourselves saying things like, I can't. I don't. I don't add up. I am not. I am not enough because I do not have enough. Enough energy, enough bandwidth, enough time, enough money, and that's just it. We will never have enough. God's kingdom 
is not a meritocracy. Not now, here on earth, and certainly not down the road when God, God's kingdom come and God's will is done. And while we all have bills to pay and neighbors to love and hymns to sing and lives to change, God's free gift of grace in Christ, Christ's life, death, and resurrection erases all hints of, media, of meritocracy by God's faithful abundance, by God's creative work. You are enough. And who you are has very, very little to do with your money or your weight or your class or your rank or your wrinkles or your achievements or your zip code. Your gifts and your achievements, your failures and your flaws, your talents and your treasures are not to be compared and commodified in a transactional way because they are expressions of God's good creation and gifts and they are meant to be shared and used for God's purposes. God's purposes and reign of abundance, not scarcity. Consider God's kingdom is like a vineyard. And we are invited to work together, to live together, to receive together, to harvest fruit, and to make wine together. We're called to feast. Consider sitting at that table and sharing a meal where there are no challenges, no winners, no losers, no transactions or votes of whether or not you really belong there. We pass the bread in the cup. We look one another in the eye. We laugh. We give thanks. We hope. While all of that sounds great, things get a little bit blurry by the time we finish work and sit down at the table. We were picked to work early, and we worked all day. For things like democracy and liberty and opportunity and equality, for folks like us, they seem real and tangible, but certainly access to the ideals of America differ according to the issues of gender and race and sexuality and culture. The vineyard workers grumble when they realize the latecomers were being paid a full day's wage with no concern for the circumstances or need, the workers who showed up early murmured under their breath and Greek the word translate as, as if doves were cooing, yapping, gossiping, complaining, judging. There won't be enough. It's not fair. They don't deserve it. But the truth is, we don't know what we don't know. And so we make assumptions and assume the worst and believe the news or what the neighbors say. The truth is that day laborers live without security or assurances of any sort. They are forced to move from job to job depending on the amount of work they can find on any given day. And I imagine that the burden and anxiety of not having a job to provide for your family far outweighs the exhaustion of a full day's work held within the promise of a fair wage. You get sick, you don't get paid. Your baby gets sick, you're not getting paid. You don't have a car, you don't have bus fare, you better get walking. At least back in Judah in the day, they received a daily wage, enough to provide for what a family might need. Today, seasonal and day laborers are paid hourly. Mow the grass, care for the children, paint the house, care for the pet. Who picks the coffee beans? Who works the night shift at Walmart? If you, if you don't 
own the land or the home or the business, then it seems as if you are forced to depend on the one who might give you a job. God is not fair, and God's kingdom is not equitable, but God is persistent and gracious and just and good according to our need, and God's blessing is abundant. You know, it seems like we Americans have been spending a lot of time and money and heart and soul and human life and energy and tears and voice and breath arguing about how to ensure every human has access to the ideals of our nation. And I suspect the next 40-some days will bring louder voices and more arguments. But Jesus suggests God is calling us to justice graciousness, generosity, unity, and welcome for every single person in our society without hesitation or judgment. And to the landowner who says, can I not do what I want with what belongs to me? Jesus says, yes, yes, you can, as long as you act according to God's kingdom where the gifts of covenant blessing and abundant grace are not hoarded for yourself, but poured out for the sake of others, remembering that the last is first and the first shall be last. We are called to act justly and walk humbly and love mercy. Those are the promises we've made according to our faithfulness in Jesus Christ. And you know, I'm convinced that God's grace is the only chance our country has toward unity and solidarity in this season of our history. This week in our country is reckoning with the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Now regardless of how little or how much you personally align with her ideology, she did have a profound impact on the equality of our laws for both women and men. And I have been struck by her friendship she and Justice Antonin Scalia maintained over the years. He is known to have suggested her appointment in spite of their extreme ideological differences. He founded the Conservative Federalist Society, and she was the head of the Women's Rights Project of the American Civil Liberties Union. Without compromising their individual convictions, they were certainly better judges for knowing one another and serving together. On his death, she said it was her great good fortune to have known him as a working colleague and a treasured friend. He was a devout Catholic. She was a progressive Jew. They broke bread together. They respected one another, and they enjoyed each other's company. And so somehow, if the last shall be first, and the first shall be last, for all that Ruth Bader Ginsburg represented, her death might be calling us to consider what it really means to do justice and to walk humbly and to love mercy and our neighbors as ourselves. Amen. Over the course of our many years and decades here with Selvin Avenue Presbyterian Church, we all have come to know that nothing really gets done unless the PW women are somehow involved. For all of these years, they have cared for one another in our church. They have studied and prayed and served alongside one another. And now we have a healthy seven circles um, 
in our congregation, and it's my joy and my privilege and my honor to welcome past moderator of the PW Women, Joy Berry, to present this year's honorary life membership of the PW Women. We're glad you're here. Thank you. Um, as, as Lori said, every year the President of Women presents this award to an honorary life member for that life member's work. Hold it right up. Now it's got lipstick. Um, <laughs> for that life member's work in Presbyterian Women. Often the work, as she said, of Presbyterian Women is the work of the church. Um, so I'm honored to be happy. I'm honored and happy to be here doing this despite us being in the time of COVID. Um, and as Lori said, we do this in the shadow of the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who did so much for women in her life. Um, I was thinking this morning as I got dressed that these pants I'm wearing have these tiny pockets on them. I don't know who designed a pocket so small. You can't, they won't fit a credit card, it won't fit an ID, it barely fits a key, and if it does, it just falls out. And it made me think about the amount of work that women often do with so little, but we get it done anyway. Um, this year's honoree is no exception. She came to Selwyn in 1969, um, working as a church administrator, and she stayed here until 2000 with a tiny little six-year break somewhere in there. Um, that means that she worked under three different pastors, um, Ramey, Neil McMillan, and Paul Rademacher, um, who was the pastor when I got here and who baptized Shelby. Um, that's a long time. This person co-chaired the care teams, which was probably the beginning of those super strong care teams that get us through those toughest, toughest funerals um, that we have to, to manage. Um, she got married in 2000, which is warms my heart to even think about it, um, and then cared for her husband until he passed away in 2010. Today, Pat Wheatley is, do, is staying busy doing yard work and keeping up with her friendship, friendship tray um, clients, even though she isn't delivering friendship trays to them. She is a quiet soul who has never drawn a great deal of attention to herself, um, but is a strong, strong soul for Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church. So. I want to honor Pat Wheatley, who is right here, if you'll come on up. I'm going to let you hold that. Pat, thank you for everything you have done to be our 2020 Honorary Life member. There is a couple other things that go with this, and of course that fabulous pen. I'm going to put my mask on. I'm going to put it on you. Here's the pen that goes along with the certificate, um, and we will gather a little bit later and take some pictures, and we'll get that on you. 
I have to interrupt just to say how much um, Pat Wheatley has meant to this congregation over the years and how her quiet witness of care and love for our members, both young and old, and our pastors over the years um, has left a lasting impact on uh, this congregation. And it's just a joy and an honor to have witnessed you receive this award today. And in spite of how empty this sanctuary feels, I want you to know that all of the members who know and love you are watching this on Facebook, and um, God's Spirit connects us to this moment, and we're grateful for you. This is one of those Sundays we wish we were sipping lemonade out on the lawn so we could all hug Pat's neck. Let us pray together. Lord, we are grateful that throughout generations you call up and equip women like Pat Wheatley and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who were among the first to the vineyard to serve you with their whole selves, without any grumbling. Women who do something outside of themselves, something that makes life a little better for others. May we all strive to listen for your call, to show up early, to put our own interests aside, and to seek the welfare of others. Lord, sometimes we are the first laborers in the vineyard, and we resent those who come last and receive the same grace that you give to us. Take the resentment from us, give us joy in serving, and help us to celebrate the abundance of your grace and love. Other times, Lord, we see the vineyard in the distance, and we can't even make it there to work. In those times, we're grateful that others carry the load until we are able to join the work again. That's the community we seek, Lord. We're the first and the last, all working together for the good of all. Lord, this year just seems to get worse by the week. More storms, bigger fires, more COVID deaths, more political divisiveness and vitriol. All the while, our children and teachers and administrators struggle each day. The poor get further behind on their bills. The homeless are still in tents uptown. Our neighbors are hungry, and our black and brown siblings are still crying out. It's just too much, Lord. We've prayed in the past for you to break our hearts for that which breaks your heart, Lord. And now here we are. Our hearts are broken for the world and for our neighbors. But Lord, it cuts so deep and we feel overwhelmed by the magnitude of the work to be done. Make our way obvious, Lord. Give us each a clear charge and call to offer our gifts to make a small difference so that collectively our actions make a big impact for the community and the world. No matter our circumstance, we can each offer a cup of cold water to our thirsty neighbor. Show us and then move us to action. For the lonely, we ask for presence and comfort. For the unwell, we ask for healing, your perfect healing. For those who hunger, that they would be filled. For those who are in need of work or purpose, suitable and fulfilling labor. For those who are overworked and weary, we ask for true Sabbath. For those who are anxious, we ask for your peace, the peace that passes all understanding. 
for those who trust in you, that they would find their strength renewed. Through all this, Lord, we know that you are with us. You will never leave or abandon us, and that you are at work in all of the places, situations, and things. Nothing can separate us from your love, and our true comfort is that in life and in death, we belong to you. We pray all this and more using the words that Jesus taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, discipleship happens in many ways. During our anthem, I invite you to consider ways in which God is calling you to respond at this time. Maybe you're called to join a Bible study or a small group. Maybe you're called to join in the care for our hungry or homeless neighbors or a child in need. Maybe you're feeling called to reconcile a relationship or to let go of some resentment. Discipleship also includes sharing the financial resources entrusted to us. So during this time, we invite you to share a portion of your gifts so that we can continue to share the love of God with each other and with our neighbors. You can give by text. That number is 704-734-9818 through our online portal or the old-fashioned way through a check in the mail. Let us listen and respond to God's call. Sing God a simple song, louder, louder. Make it up as you go along, louder, louder. Sing like you like to sing, God.
Blessed is the man who loves the Lord. Blessed is the man who praises him. Louder, louder, louder. And walks in his way. I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. I will lift up my voice to the Lord, singing loud all day. For the Lord is my shade, is the shade upon my right hand, and the sun shall not smite me by day. Blessed is the man who loves the Lord Louder, louder, louder And walks in his way able, please join me in our prayer of dedication. God of past, present, and future, you have promised a reign that will bless humanity and the world. Set our sights upon this coming reality, that inspired by the hope it brings, we may know ourselves to be recipients of your incomparable grace and mercy, sharing the good news in word and deed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which surpasses all understanding, dwell in your hearts and in your minds until we gather again together. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Thank you.